introduced right away to the extent of what that love should be. What is the extent of it? But you notice in verse 12 that he repeats the command. This is my commandment, that ye love one another, and don't stop there, the comma is there, just as I have loved you. He reminds us why. Now, he, he said this in chapter 13. He said that we are to be known by our love one for another. He said it in chapter 15, verse 9, just as the Father loved, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. He keeps repeating this. He says it in verse 12. And if you notice, he says it in verse 17. This I command you, that ye love one another. Why does he keep repeating it? Because we don't do it. And we will forget. And we need to be reminded, any teacher knows that the best way to teach is repetition. And I know in reality, even when I do reviews here and so forth, sometimes I had a couple of people say to me one time, you know, if people want to understand the review, Pastor Dan, tell them to go get the CD. I don't agree with that. Because I need to be reminded what Christ said. And we need to be reminded of what is going on. And we need to understand that because we forget. And so repetition, repetition, repetition. And the standard is that we love one another, and that love needs to be consistent with the character and the love that Christ has had and does have for us. It isn't just any love. We are to go out of here today. We are to be in the process now of loving one another in the same way that Christ loved us. And I want to say one more thing on that word, first of all. He says we had to love one another. That means, listen, and I believe a lot of Christians mess up, mess up right here. I do sometimes. We had to love one another. That means all Christians. We are to love every single one of the brethren with the love that Christ has for us. Hold that thought. We don't pick and choose. We had to love one another that is every single believer, as Christ has loved us. What is the pinnacle of it? What is the extent? He starts right away with a toughie. How far do I go with this love? Well, he tells us. He doesn't leave us hanging. Look at verse 13. Greater love has no man than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. The extent is that we are to be willing to even give of our lives one for another. That is sacrificial. That is selfless. That is to, toward those, and I'll be saying more about this in a second, toward those who are even unlovable. That's what Christ did. He laid down his life. Now, the reference I will give you, but I won't turn there, and you know it well, is Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8, where Christ thought it not robbery to be equal with God. He left that glory above, took on the form of man, and went and obeyed the Father even to the death of the cross. That's the extent of his love. The extent of his love, the pinnacle of his love, is that he loved us by even giving his life. And if I stopped here today and asked you not to raise your hands, not to do anything else, but think for a moment, can you and I honestly say that I am loving the brethren right now that way? Where I would give my life 
for any believer. Just think about that one. Any believer that I would give my life. Where do we draw the line? Are we willing to give our life? Do we draw the line on the basis of convenience? Well, I'll love one another if it's convenient to my schedule. If it's convenient to my personality. I will love one another until someone hurts me. And then I will talk about them. And then I will make sure others know how that person's hurt me. Is that the way we behave? Is that loving one another? Where does that line come in? Are we willing really to lay down our life one another for one another? Do we say that I'm willing to lay down my life for one another or the brethren for those who are in my intimate circle? And by the way, don't tell me as a Christian you don't have that. You do, and so do I. Christ had it himself. There is nothing wrong with having a closeness with some friends, even within the body of Christ. But we ought to realize that we are connected to the entire body. And many believers are willing even to give their life for their closest friends. But you talk about another believer who they don't even know, they just know that they're a believer. Are you willing to lay down your life for them? They are part of your body. And when I say that, you're actually part of the body of Christ. You're both part of it. That's what Christ is calling us to. He's calling us to do some difficult things. To love one another in the same way that he loved us. To love not just... He didn't just pour out his love to his intimate circle. He poured his love out to all the disciples. He even poured it out, even outside of that realm, if you will, to Judas. He poured out that love toward you and toward me. Not just his intimate circle. Many a Christian will do anything for their close friends. And they'll talk about the others. Or if there's a hurt, they will avoid them. That's reality. And I want you to notice this, just from the language there. It's an interesting one to me, anyway. Because what he says here, he says, he uses the word agape, then he goes to the word actually, the word actually Philos, or philo, if you want to go into a, a different form of the word. But he basically says, greater love hath no man than this, that he lays down his life, and it could be translated, for those he loves. Because it's love and love. He uses the word friend, and I understand why they did that in the translation, and that's a very good translation. I'm not saying that. But it really is another form of the word love. What truly was the test is greater love has no man than this, then he lays down his life for the ones that he loves. And in the context, it is obvious, folks, that he's dealing with believers. And I don't want to get into a tangent here of did Christ die for the world? Yes, he says that in one other place. Here, it is dealing with the context of talking about believers. He has loved those that he has laid down his life for them. Now, let me expand on this because we said it's got to be practical. And uh, let's go on a little bit further for a second. All right? Don't forget we were enemies first. Turn with me to Romans chapter 5. Very quickly. We're going to come right back. Romans chapter 5. Yes, we are his friends. But what was our condition when he laid his life down for us? Romans chapter 5. You've heard me repeat these verses many times, beginning in verse 6, because it's so overwhelming to me. Watch. For while we were still, what? Helpless. 
at the right time, what did he do? Christ died for the ungodly. That means we're ungodly. For one would hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his love. Here, you want to talk about the love of the Father? You want to talk about the love of Christ? Watch. God demonstrates, God shows, God gives us visual aid, God gives us something that we can look at as a model, that's what he means, of his own love toward us. How? In that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. While we were sinners. That's what he did. He died for us, and you can go on and read the passage. One more thing I should point out, look at verse 10. For if while we were what? Enemies, we were reconciled to God. How? Through the death of his son. He talked about laying down his life for his friends. We are his friends as believers. And we are to do the same thing. We are to love as Christ loved. What was the condition of his laying down the life? Yes, we are friends, but at one time we were helpless. We were sinners. We were enemies and everything else that's pointed out. That was our condition. Now in our context, we are called friends. And Judas Iscariot is not there in the context. Love, let me put it to you this way. We can go back to John chapter 15. Love is always demonstrated by action. And that's a conviction to me and should be to everybody in this room. I've heard many, many messages myself personally in conferences, in messages I've sat under, in messages I've preached where we can talk about love and we can accuse other people of not loving. And our example is horrendous. We ought to love and lay down our life. And we're going to see some more practical things. Do we really love as Christ loved us? Really, I want to say to you, is Christ going to demand that you lay down your physical life? He did it. We need to be willing to do it. But practically, we are to, Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, they are on the walls. You don't have to turn in your Bible. Look on the walls. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition. It should not be centered on me. Put your name in there as well. Or conceit. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. When's the last time you did that? I did that. That we looked at another believer and esteemed them. And I'm talking about, how about this one? Think in your mind of someone that makes a profession of faith and is probably difficult to love, and when's the last time you esteemed that person above yourself? Let each look out for himself. Is that what that says over there? Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interests of others. Yeah, I hate chili. I'm trying to be practical. I'm just using that. I didn't expect to use that. That's what came up this morning. She said, I don't know whether she was being honest or kind of joking. She's so jovial. But, but she said, I don't even like chili. Do you really, by the way? No, she doesn't. But will she be here? Yes. Why? Because the interest of others looking to get people to the mission field is a concern. You know, missions conference. Well, I'm looking out to minister to the missionaries. It's not because it's going to be my schedule or I, I want to go have a cup of tea with somebody. We don't think of those things. See, we don't get into what laying down the life is. It's not just the physical. 
It's looking for the interest of others. How can I promote the body of Christ? Let me be very practical about it. Jesus was among and had to be among people to demonstrate the love. How else would we know it? He wasn't isolated staying at home. He didn't stay in his village in Nazareth. Had he done that, we wouldn't know what the love of Jesus Christ is before he got to the cross. But he demonstrated his love with the woman at the well that we've seen in John chapter 4. Right? Yes. Because he was there with her. He demonstrated his love to Peter, who failed him. And he's the one that picked him up. He demonstrated his love to Nicodemus, who came to him as a religious leader, unsaved, curious. That's where we learn the love of Jesus Christ. We find his love demonstrated to 5,000 men and then additional women and children when he fed them because he had compassion on them. That's the love of Jesus Christ, and he was in the midst of them. We see his demonstration of love when he came to lepers that everybody else would throw stones at, and he went and he healed them. We see the demonstration of the love of Jesus Christ when a man was born blind, and even those who professed to be in his inner circle said, who sinned, him or his? And that's the way we react. I wonder what they did now. Do you know what they did? Let me tell you what they did to me. Really? Jesus Christ said, you don't know what you're talking about. It's neither him nor his parents. I'll show you the love of Jesus Christ. This is for the glory of God. The love of Jesus Christ is seen when Paul was persecuting the church of Jesus Christ and he was struck down at the Damascus Road and saved. That's the love of Jesus Christ that we're talking about demonstrated. Let me put it to you this way. Fellow believer, you listen carefully. You cannot love the brethren without being with them. You do not love the brethren by staying away from Christians and by staying away from God's designed local assembly. It includes the universal church, absolutely. But how can you love people when you're not with them? In case you think that's Pastor Dan's idea, I came across something interesting. Some of you know this author. It's a quotation from Alexander Strout. And a lot of people use him for many, many things regarding how the church should function. Listen to what he says. Listen to this quotation. And I quote. He says this. Believers cannot encourage one another to love if they don't meet together regularly as a church family. You cannot do it. Listen to what else he says. Christians, and I quote, cannot develop love by sitting at home alone on the couch watching TV. That's pretty practical. Christians cannot de develop love by watching TV preachers or by attending a weekly one-hour church service. It is only through the participation in God's household, the local church by God's design, with all, now listen to this part, it's crucial, with all of its faults that love is taught, modeled, learned, tested, 
and practiced and matured. Listen to this. Quote, By dealing with difficult people, facing painful conflicts, forgiving hurts and injustices, reconciled and strained estranged relationships, and helping the needy members, our love is tested and matured. One simply cannot grow in love without stresses and strains in the life together with the household of God, the local church. The local church is truly a spiritual workshop for the development of agape love. And one of the very laboratories in which every believer may discover his real spiritual emptiness and begin to really see what agape love is. And I end it with his last sentence. If you are not a participating member of a local church, you are not in God's school to love. That's pretty powerful, end quote. And it's practical. What that's saying is, yeah, we talk about laying down our life. And yeah, you talk about the Christian that hurt you. Yeah, and you talk about the, the other person that you can't get along with or haven't been reconciled with for 10 years. You talk about the other one that's hard to love. That's where your love is tested. That's how you know if you're loving Christ. That's how I know that I'm loving Christ. When I can be in that environment and I can take those hurts and I can forgive and I can move on. And if you can't do that, you don't love God the way Christ loved the church. Nor do I. Sure, you might get hurt. And you know what? I guarantee you'll get hurt because we are people. And so many Christians back off and say, I don't want to be around that person. I don't want to go there anymore. I don't want to do this because they hurt me. Where is your love? Yeah, you did get hurt. Where would this ministry be if everybody in leadership and everybody that's still here, that's been here from the beginning, and there's some of you, walked away with the hurts and left? It takes demonstrating it in practical situation. Sure, you might get hurt, but it's in the environment of being with people that that is the area that you're able to demonstrate truly what love is and the love of Christ. So what is the evidence then, you know, really of that action? The evidence of Christ's love is found in verses 14 and 15, and I've actually mentioned some of it already. But it's a relationship. We all need friends, by the way. We're no longer enemies. Who is a friend? Well, believers should be friends. Someone uh, of our choosing. Someone we can share things with. Someone we care about. Think about your own friends. We care about our friends. We want to share things. We want to trust them. We want to tell them our plans. We want, and we all have those type of relationships. Well, when it comes to the body of Christ, that's what we need to have. Now, let's not misunderstand. In verse 15, it says, No longer do I call you slaves. We are still slaves. Doulos is used in Scripture, but in the context is what he's dealing with here. A slave is one who performs duties, one who obeys his wishes and has no rights. 
Christ has taken us out of that environment, and we do have rights now. We do belong to him. And now, though we still have him as our Savior and our Lord, and I'll talk about that in just a second, we still have him referring to us as his friends. And that's important, by the way. He calls us friends. Listen carefully. He calls us friends. We are his friend. Catch this. Not the other way around. Did you get that? We are Christ's friends. He is not our friend. You say, what are you saying? Listen carefully. Too many talk about Christ or God as if he's just a chum or a buddy. That's a misunderstanding of the Godhead. Our personal relationship with Christ is not a casual, chummy, buddy relationship like professing Christianity is making him out to be today. Check me out on this. God, from Genesis 1-1 to the end of the book of Revelation, is never called our friend. We are called his friend. That's why he says, I chose you. But he is never called our friend. Abraham and Moses are called the friend of God. But he's the one that makes us his friend. And in case you think I'm emphasizing something I shouldn't be emphasizing, Jesus Christ and God is always to be seen as Lord from our perspective, not as a buddy. And yes, the one we love because he first loved us. Carson put it this way. Listen, quote, If one measures measures friendship strictly on the basis of who loves the most, guilty sinners can find no better or truer friend than in God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and in the Son whom he sent. But listen to this. But mutual reciprocal friendship of the modern variety is not what is in view in John chapter 15. It cannot be without demeaning God. He calls us friend to show you his love. He is still God, and we belong to him, and we are to adore him as Lord and obey him for his calling us friend by demonstrating it toward one another. How did Jesus demonstrate that love, and what evidence did he give? By giving of his life. We saw that in verse 13. By obeying the Father's commands. We've seen that in Scripture. By being with people, not avoiding people. By revealing the Father's will, and by revealing the plan of God. This is include, included such things as giving us an understanding of what the Father's like talking about salvation, how he's the only way, truth, and life, by telling us how sanctification works in our daily life, even by telling us eschatological things that would know that he's coming back and what he has for the future. But it also involved with all of that, comforting, visiting, healing, counseling. How much are we doing that? I am ready to visit anyone. That's the truth. How many of you are visiting anyone? How many of you, when you hear a brother that's hurting, 
are ready to inconvenience your schedule or inconvenience your time or inconvenience your finances or inconvenience, I'm talking about the practical, to go out and help them to get through that situation. Many times we end up saying, I will pray for you. And I believe that Christians are sincere. But sometimes there's so much more that we could do, and we don't do it because it interferes with our schedule. And you're going to say that you're loving the brethren? I don't think so. How are we to do it? By obedience, obviously. You are my friends. Notice that again. He calls us that. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I want you to catch that this morning in verse 14. We demonstrated by obeying, by knowing that Christ laid down his life. We ought to do that. It might not be the physical life. We've talked about that. But it is a life of doing. It's a present tense. Yes, it's subjunctive, but it's active. And it's a doing. The Christian life is obedience. It's a pattern of life. That's what he means in this tense here. It's not an occasional thing where today I'll love someone, tomorrow I'll go back to myself. The Christian life that we are called to, Jesus Christ was called from being in the birth in Bethlehem until he went back to the ascension in Acts chapter 1. All of that in between, he was obeying the Father's will. He was walking with God. He was loving us continuously. It wasn't, I love God for Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. I need Thursday, Friday to myself. I don't care if you're on the golf course. I don't care if you are at home. I don't care if you are in a church service. I don't care if you're driving in your car. You're to be demonstrating, and I am to be demonstrating the love of Christ, and particularly toward the brethren. And it's not occasional. Let me say this practically so I don't miss it. Christ's love was unconditional. Our love is to be unconditional, and this is what I want you to catch. Do not wait for someone else to love you. You say, when is somebody going to start showing that to me? Maybe no one showed that to you. Stop browbeating yourself and pitying yourself. What God calls us to do is you seek out someone to love, and you seek out someone to serve, and then you'll be demonstrating the love of Christ. It is true among Christians. We have to be honest. Many of us who need love, we don't get it. All we get is criticism. Ask any pastor that's been in the ministry ever or any teacher, and I guarantee you they will tell you that their life is spent dealing with criticism 90% of the time. It's true. Well, they need to be loved, so do you. We ought to reach out and love everybody and be in that atmosphere of meeting their needs not seeking for others to love us, but seeking to love others. And we need to get on the ball. I also want you to notice that it says we ought to obey. That's a doing. I want to just get this across. I know I'm losing time. i got tons of verses. I'm not even going to get to them. But catch this. It's not what we don't do. Christians get it confused. He says, you're my friends if you obey my commands. That's doing. As Christians, we often think that our love is demonstrated by not doing things, by avoiding things. You want me to be practical about that? If I avoid, if I don't go and get involved in certain types of entertainment, 
if I don't listen to certain music, if I don't eat certain foods, if I don't be among certain people, and then people go away and say, I don't do that, I don't do that. That's a Pharisee. Christianity is about doing. And there's too many Christians that think Christianity, all it is, is don't do. And they see it as a life that the standard is not doing something. Yes, there's a right place for separation, and anyone that knows me knows that's true. And that's what we preach. But the standard is not thou shalt not. The standard to the Christian is thou shalt do what I have done. That's what Christ says. It is doing. You might come up with a long laundry list of the things that you don't do, and you're not in among the brethren, loving all the brethren the way Christ wants you to love. I will not turn to the Ephesians passage. I have Ephesians, Romans, Galatians. By God's grace, I'm going to have to look at that as we continue on. But I will say this. As we look at this passage, we had a love as Christ loved us. Yes, he laid down his life, but he demonstrated it over and over. When he was hurt, when Peter neglected to say that, yes, I know Jesus Christ. Christ loved him. When others hurt him and turned away, Christ demonstrated his compassion. When others who deserved judgment, he didn't go gossip about anybody. It tells us very clearly in Peter, when he was reviled, he reviled not again. He could have mocked he could have turned around and shredded Pilate. He didn't. Who he shredded was the religious leaders who said that they knew what God wanted and they knew God. And he had to come right through them and say this much. I want you to know something. You say God's your father. Your father is Satan. Why? They were not doing the things of God. We can talk about love. And we're going to look at Romans and we're going to look at Ephesians. But let me encourage you to do this. Start loving one another. I might repeat this again, but let me say something. Here's a challenge. It was a challenge to myself as I thought about it. If you want someone to really see Christ, let them see you loving others. And here's a challenge. I, in my own nature and personality, am a negative type of person. I can see all the things that I fail to do in my life and other people fail to do. And I tell you something, in Christianity we have a tendency, I've been taught that, I've learned that, uh, in the fundamental circles you learned that, that you always look for what's wrong with somebody else. Here's a challenge to me, to you. How about we start looking for in other Christians, just start there, for what is Christ doing in their life? When is the last time you, when you saw another believer, asked yourself, what is God doing in that person's life? Oh, they may have said something wrong. They may not be dressed in the right clothing. They may not be listening to the right things. But is God working in their life? Maybe you need to allow time for the Spirit of God to work in their life and not you or not me. Start looking for, among the brethren, how God is blessing 
and how people are growing. I never forgot a situation to this day of someone who was kept from serving in a ministry because something in a various capacity, something was missing in their life. And I remember as a young believer looking at that and saying, but look at how his life has changed here. And look at how his life has changed there. But all people saw was the one negative thing that was in that person's life. And it had nothing to do with immorality whatsoever. That's our tendency. This person doesn't measure up. There are standards for elders. There are standards for deacons. Don't misunderstand me. But too often, we're not looking for, wow, did you see how that person's praising God when before they weren't praising God? Look at what God's doing. That person's reading their Bible. Look at what they used to read. You see what God's doing in their life? They're now serving in the nursery. They're now coming up here with funny hats, and they're talking about chili. Look at what God is doing. No offense, meaning by that. And that's what I'm saying. I look at even this morning how bubbly that person's life has been changed. And I say to you that if I start doing that right here, and you start doing that, and we start loving the brethren and seeing what God's doing in their life, we are going to be examples, and people are going to want to come to Christ because they're truly going to see it. I haven't done justice to the passage. Time's gone by. Great, Have a great Mother's Day, but walk out of here and ask yourself this. How did Christ love us? That's the way we are to love one another. Let's close in prayer. Our Father and God, there is no one in this room under greater conviction than me. And I pray, Father, because I know that I've been through the studying, preparation, over the passages, and I know how it hurts. But I pray, Father, that by your grace you've worked in our hearts right here, that we would truly ask ourselves, are we really loving the brethren, the way Christ has called us to love? Are we avoiding Christians more than we're spending time with them? Are we worried about hurts that we've experienced or things that have been said or done? Are we still talking about those things? Are we talking behind believers' backs rather than loving them the way Christ loved us? Oh, Father, forgive us. Help us, Father, to be not just talking about love, but to be demonstrating it. Might truly others be drawn to the Lord Jesus Christ as they see our love one for another. Might, be, might we be willing to lay down our life, not just in the physical sense, but in the practical sense, some of the ways we talked about today, where we're putting other people first, where we know it affects our time, our money, our conversation. And as we'll see, Lord, help us to be renewed in the spirit of our mind day by day, for it's a constant battle. And might you get all the honor and glory. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.